<clears throat> Something that Yahoo Answers could answer. Somebody in the congregation. Are we back? Hey, we're back. Yeah? You okay? No, it's fine. Yeah. Okay. Hey, welcome back. Um, yeah, I'm going to pray for Dean. Um, thank you, Father, for the muted, awesome trumpet that Dean is. Um, just thank you for um, what he is to this body. And we just uh, pray that uh, you speak through him, that uh, you uh, lay away all distractions and give him peace. And uh, may uh, your words through him uh, encourage us all. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Thanks, Scott. <laughs> Never been called that. <laughs> Muted, awesome trumpet. Okay, well, I think, th so this is a, a design of our new sanctuary. What do you think? It's that kind of gothic, you know. It's, it's, it is kind of small, but there's not a lot of you, so. I, and when I first saw the picture, it looked like the pews went all the way across, so it almost looked like you had to crawl over them to get to the front, which I thought was a really cool idea. Very impractical, but kind of speaks of the, the journey towards God, you know, all these. Can you turn this down just a little? It's, it's ringing and it's bothering me. Okay. We're going to talk, okay, so the first time I put this picture up, I, uh, I looked at Jesus' finger there, and I thought it was his middle finger. Okay. <laughs> I got to be honest, that's what I saw. That, that might just be because I work in construction, and that's what you see a lot, but that's really not Jesus giving us the finger. That's, he's making a point. <laughs> okay, we're, we're doing a series on Sermon on the Mount, and um, it's called An Alternative Society. We're kind of looking, we started September, took a bit of a break around Christmas, and we're, we'll be done in a few weeks. Um, we're viewing Sermon on the Mount as a summary of Jesus' teaching, and so we're looking closely at it and seeing it as a guide for uh, how we should live. And today we're going to be talking about prayer. Ask, seek, knock is the passage. Um, I thought that was kind of a cool little picture. That's how I draw, so I could relate. <laughs> um, I, before we start, I have to start with a confession, because I can't really talk about prayer without telling you that I'm really bad at it. And Oh, you too, Mark. Yay. I pray because I should. I pray. For me, prayer is a discipline. Um, and I know it isn't for everyone, and that's awesome. I'm glad it isn't. But for me, it's, it's just something that I do because I should. There's rare times where it feels good and I feel close to God, but most of the time it's just kind of a job. <laughs> you can pray for me, Karen. It gets worse. <laughs> so... I, you know, I wrote this whole sermon, and I was done Thursday, which for me is pretty good, um, and I, I had this revelation that it, it was wrong, and I, uh, I actually rewrote it, I threw most of it out, and, and the reason was because I really felt 
that I needed to speak about this, about praying in the darkness. And I, it's personal, but I think it applies to the passage, and it also applies to all of us. Um, I've, it, for me, the last few years have been really hard, and it has been a time of quite a bit of darkness in my own life, and not, not much joy, a lot of, yeah, just a lot. It feels like a lot of chores, like I'm just doing stuff because I have to, and there hasn't been a lot of want to or joy or in the midst of that. So I really haven't prayed much either. Um, so it's good for me to preach because I pray. Otherwise, I kind of don't. <laughs> so that's my confession. We're going to talk more about praying in the darkness. I think... Um, Many of you can relate, and uh, that'll be kind of the overview, the subtitle of the sermon, as it were. But before we get there, we're going to look at the passage that I'll be speaking on. Which is entitled, Ask, Seek, Knock. Um, and I, I don't know, you know, you, you know those those little subtitles that you get in the Bible aren't there in the original language, right? They're not inspired scripture. They're, they're like interpretations. They're, the translators put them there to help you understand the passage. They kind of bug me sometimes because they lead you to read it a certain way. But on the other hand, I guess it's helpful. Anyway, that's a bit of an aside. I'm going to read the passage. Uh, it's Matthew 7, 7 to 12. Ask, and it will be given to you. Seek, and you will find. Knock, and the door will be opened to you. For everyone who asks receives. And the one... Oh, no. The one who seeks finds. And to the one who knocks, the door will be opened. Which of you, if your son asks for bread, will give him a stone? Or if he asks for a fish, will give him a snake? If you then, though you are evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your Father in heaven give good gifts to those who ask him? So in everything, do to others what you would have them do to you. For this sums up the law and the prophets. So, we'll look at that in a little more detail. Um, The passage kind of breaks into three parts. The first part being the the ask, seek, knock bit, which is, it seems to be kind of an invitation to pray or a command even of Jesus that we should pray. The second part is an analogy from parenting about giving gifts and receiving gifts. And that's more focused on the results of prayer. And then you have this third section, um, the so-called golden rule of doing unto others as you would want them to do to you, which doesn't seem to fit that well, but we'll look at that a bit later too. Oh yeah, lots to come. Stick around. Um, I took a lot of Hebrew at, at university because I thought it'd be cool to learn to read it. Um, I didn't realize that even after taking five courses in it, you still wouldn't really be able to read it, or I couldn't, so it didn't work out so well. But one of the things I did learn was that um, 
large parts of the Old Testament are poetry, and Hebrew poetry is most often um, parallel lines, where you have two lines saying basically the same thing, but slightly different. Um, occasionally, it's three lines. So I, I, I think that's kind of cool. And, and it, by doing, by writing that way, you're kind of nuancing your meaning a little more, which is a neat thing, I think. And I noticed that structure in here, because it's so obvious. Um, so you can see we have three statements almost the same. Ask and it will be given. Seek and you will find. Knock and the door will be opened to you. And then it repeats itself. Everyone who asks receives. And the one who seeks finds. And the one who knocks, the door will be open. So it's just kind of a cool structural thing where Jesus is, is using... Probably because he was so steeped in scripture, he, he had a tendency to speak in that way as well. Um, but he's using that kind of structure. Right. And this, uh, the three words, ask, seek, knock, some people have seen this as um, kind of three different ways of praying. And f I don't, I, for me, it makes more sense that it's kind of about... Uh, how close we are to God. And I would, as I was thinking about this, I kind of envisioned it like you're in a house. You're in a house with Jesus. You're living with God. Kind of nice. Um, and uh, the first part, asking, is like when you're really close to God. You know, you're on the couch with him or something, and you just have a question, just ask him. So there's a real closeness. The seek I would see more as He's in the house somewhere, but not in the same room as you. You know, maybe he's uh, in the kitchen making dinner, or maybe you are, whatever. You want to talk to him, you have to seek him out a bit. And then the third one is is more when you're feeling quite distant, and you're not in the house, perhaps. Um, like, say, I guess I'm a parent of a teenager, because what comes to mind for me as a, parent, as a teenager that's run away because they're annoyed and they're... They want to, they've realized that it, it sucks to be outside where it's cold and wet, and they want to get back in the house, so they have to knock. So that's the image I had about <laughs> knocking on the door to, uh, to pray, to talk to God. Um, the verbs in the Greek have a sense of habitual, ongoing prayer. It's not just a one-time thing. It's not, we're called to, um, to be asking seeking and knocking kind of continuously. The New Living Translation translates it that way. Keep on asking, keep on seeking, and keep on knocking. Carrying on to the next section, um, the parenting analogy kind of section. So which of you, if your son asks for bread, will give him a stone? Or if he asks for a fish, will give him a snake? Well, I would hope none of us would do that. Um, even though we tend toward evil and we are sinful, we wouldn't even do that. But God, being good, would give far, far more than that. It's interesting that the bread and the fish are... Uh, necessities of life. So he's not talking about um, 
oh, I just saw some new shoes, God, I'd really like to have those. That's not really the kind of prayer that he's talking about here. He's talking more like, I'm starving, or I don't have enough money, or like kind of desperate (laughs) necessities of life prayer. I know shoes for some people are quite a necessity to have a closet full of them. I understand I have two daughters, but they're not. I'm sorry. Wow. It goes right through you. (laughs) I totally lost my train of thought. Just give me a second here. Um, Good gifts. So gifts here in the sense is, it's a larger sense than just a present. It's it's whatever we're asking for. It's it's a kind of a metaphor for what we need, and and God wants to provide for our needs. He wants us to be in relationship. He wants us um, to be asking him. And God can give whatever we want. Uh, This passage, though often taken completely out of context, is, is relevant because of the power of God. Like, if we don't get something, it's not because God can't do it. Um, let me read it. Ephesians 3.20. God is able, through his mighty power at work within us, to accomplish infinitely more than we might ask for or think. So God can do it. Be encouraged. Whatever your need is, God can fill it. And then we run into verse 12. So in everything, do unto others what you would have them do to you, for this sums up the law and the prophets, which doesn't really seem to follow very well. And in fact, if you look at the New Living Translation, they put a complete break there and give it a new subtitle because they didn't feel it really fit there very well. But you can't do that because it says so. Or you can also translate it, therefore. So it's obviously this passage is referring back to something previous. So why is it there? Well, if you think, um, if you were here last week, Gordy talked about judging. And Matthew so this is the, the section just before the one that we're looking at. Matthew 7, 2, the same way you judge others, you will be judged And with the measure you use, it will be measured to you. So, well, that lines up with the the golden rule much better. And if you think about gifts, gifts like the the gift analogy Jesus uses is quite a relational kind of analogy. So it, it does kind of fit that you have this idea of giving what you would like to get. You know, that's... Um, how you act and when what you do relates back to what you would like to get. So it's kind of a good standard. So that's how I think it all fits. Let's, um, geez, man, I should have practiced more, I think. <laughs> So the passage is about prayer, and it's, it's not just about prayer, because we saw that there was this, the ongoing sense of the verbs, that we should be doing it continually, and we should be doing it ongoing. We should be persevering in prayer. Um, 
So we're going to look at that in a bit more detail. There's a passage, a parable that I'm going to read to you. Uh, Luke 18. Uh, Jesus told his disciples a parable to show them that they should always pray and not give up. He said, In a certain town there was a judge who neither feared God nor cared what people thought, and there was a widow in that town who kept coming to him with the plea, Grant me justice against my adversary. For some time he refused, but finally he said to himself, Even though I don't fear God or care what people think, yet because this widow keeps bothering me, I will see that she gets justice so she won't eventually come and attack me. The Lord said, listen to what the unjust judge says. And will not God bring about justice for his chosen ones who cry out to him day and night? Will he keep putting them off? I tell you, he will see that they get justice and quickly. So being a person of few words, as I am, I don't like to be told that I need to ask for something many times because I probably won't do it. I don't, that's just not how I work. So I would interpret this (laughs) in my interpretation. It's more asking passionately or asking like you really mean it. For some people that means saying a lot of words. For some people that just means saying less words more emphatically. But I kind of get that sense about this. But lest you think that that's the only way, then you run into this passage, Matthew 6, 7. When you pray, do not keep babbling like pagans, for they think they will be heard because of their many words. Do not be like them, for your Father knows what you need before you ask him. Isn't that great? So that's kind of saying the opposite thing, in a sense. Um, I think what's different here is that these people are praying almost without belief. They're just praying because they think if they say enough, something's going to happen. Whereas what Jesus is talking about is praying with a belief, praying with some sort of faith that something's going to come of it. And that's when things happen. So we're going to look at a little more darkness. Because it's Lent and, you know, it's raining. I was worried it might be sunny today because that that would just not go well. And then I thought of turning out all the lights and just having a candle here. But then I thought, you know, we'll just all fall asleep. So, yeah. (laughs) Yes. Well, you know, I was thinking I kind of get sick of the rain sometimes. And then I thought, you know, if you live way up north, it's just dark for three months. You don't see the sun. I thought, whoa, that's, you know, rain looks kind of good compared to that. It's still light out. Anyway, darkness, when I'm thinking about darkness here, I'm thinking about not, as, as just part of the human condition, like all of us have times in our life where it's difficult. We have times, um, sometimes we're in mourning, sometimes we're despairing, we may even struggle with depression. All these things, like it's, it's normal to have darkness in our life. It's just part of the human experience. And often accompanying that darkness, or maybe even causing that darkness, is a sense of distance from God. A sense of 
when you're praying, you're not connecting at all. It's just words into the darkness. And at least part of the reason for this is because we're here and we're not in heaven and we're not, we're not with God in eternity right now. We are stuck here and even though Jesus has won the victory, there is still darkness. There is still areas where the victory has not reached and, and we have to struggle through it. And in some ways, it's good for us because these things challenge us and help us to grow. But it certainly isn't pleasant. And um, there's lots and lots of examples. I'm going to give you a few of people who struggle with darkness. This is a picture, a painting of Jeremiah the prophet. If you've read much of Jeremiah or Lamentations... Lamentation is not a very upbeat book. Um, Jeremiah was was alive during a very dark and troubling time. So I am not saying that... I don't know if he was necessarily distant from God, but he was. it was definitely a dark time, and he definitely struggled a lot during that time. Ah, that's Job there on the ground, and his friends who were trying to help him, but really in the end just end up blaming him for his own troubles. Good friends. Um, Job is interesting. Like, Job suffered, and Job suffered through no fault of his own. If you know the book of Job, it almost seems like Jesus and Satan were kind of playing this game of poker or something, and Job suffered because of it, which is a little hard to get around theologically. So I'm not going to talk about that. <laughs> what, what is relevant for our conversation right now, I think, is that Job did not suffer because of anything he did. That's what his friends were telling him. Surely you must have sinned. Surely you must have done something to cause this. But Job really was innocent. Bad things just happen. And that just is, we're in a fallen world. Bad things happen. Like sometimes bad things happen to us and it's entirely our fault but sometimes it's not. It just happens. And there's Jesus um, in the garden there, the Garden of Gethsemane, praying before he's arrested. Again, this is somewhat hard to grasp since Jesus is God, but Jesus is Jesus. He's man and God. Um, So he seems to have... He's definitely suffering in the garden, and he's definitely praying because he knows what's coming, and he's trying to grapple with the fact of what he has to go through. And it's an interesting picture because you see that beam of light, which implies that God is there with him. And I'm not so sure that Jesus necessarily felt that at that time. And I think that's it's something that's very encouraging to us because when we're in darkness and praying or even not praying, God is there with us. And it, just because we don't sense him doesn't mean that he's not there and doesn't mean that he's not caring for us. If you know much about church history, you've heard of St. John of the Cross who wrote this poem called Dark Night of the Soul. Um, 
and, and St. John of the Cross himself felt distant from God for many, many years. But, and he, so he called it dark night of the soul, which is a, it's a term that is used even to this day. And he saw it, the, the darkness and the distance from God as, as a means towards maturity, as something that we go through on the way to, uh, to being closer to God. And this was, this was surprising to me the first time I read it. Um, Mother Teresa actually struggled with darkness and distance from God for most of her life. She was, which is amazing, because you think about what she did, and she was known as a woman of prayer, and yet she felt like her personal memoirs were published after her death, and a lot of times she felt like God just wasn't there at all, which is astounding. So you can still do amazing things, even if you don't sense God with you. And of course, Jesus on the cross, praying in the darkness. I'm going to read Matthew 27. From noon until three in the afternoon, darkness came all over the land. About three in the afternoon, Jesus cried out in a loud voice, Eli, Eli, lama sabachthani, which means, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? So Jesus, even Jesus, felt utterly forsaken and distant from God. So why wouldn't we sometimes? This is J.I. Packer. I was uh, looking at um, his book, Knowing God. Very good book. You should read it if you haven't. And this is a quote from it. Your faith will not fail while God sustains it. You are not strong enough to fall away while God is resolved to hold you. So even if you're running from God, he's still there. He's not going to give up on you, even if you've given up. I found that really encouraging. Because personally, I know most of my distance from God is my own fault. It's just because I haven't made no effort to be close to him um, lately. And it's just very encouraging to know he's there. And he's wanting to be with me, even if I'm not wanting to be with him. I um, Back when I was, I don't know, in my 20s, I didn't talk much. I was I was quiet back then. Yeah. Not like now. <laughs> I was really quiet. Anyway, I was at a at a I guess you could call it a revival meeting. <laughs> yeah, my wife's just confirming that uh, <laughs> I'm quiet. Okay. Um I was at a revival meeting and um someone had a word for me and or a picture and the picture was of of a, of a battleground, and it was kind of like a, you know, there are horses and mounted soldiers and that kind of thing, and I was on a horse with Jesus. I was on the back, and the battle hadn't started because they were waiting for me to, to shout the command, which of course I was terrified to shout. So, 
the word in the prayer was all you have to do is just whisper. Just, you know, whisper, charge. And then Jesus will just take care of the rest. And I thought that was such a great, such an encouraging word that he, because, you know, there's times, especially when you're discouraged, where all you can do is like, help, help me. You know, and uh, that's enough. God will work with that. You know, the other thing is that this is all temporary, which Rose finds a very bleak thing for me to be saying, because I say it too often, whenever there's a problem. Well, this is all temporary. (laughs) But it is true. It is true that no matter what we're going through, um, it is temporary. And Temporary may mean 50 years, however, okay? So (laughs) it might feel pretty long, but in the end, we're going to be with God, and there will be no more tears. There will be no more pain. There will be no more darkness. So no matter what we're going through now, it's going to end, and it'll be better, and it'll be better forever. So it's all temporary. And that's not to minimize the suffering. That's just to contextualize it. And Because when you're in the midst of darkness, often it seems like this is it. This will never end. But that's just not true. It will. And it will because of God's love for us. And that's why we have reminders. Even though it's dark at night, well, the morning comes even though it's dark and gray in the winter and there's death around, um, spring comes, new life. So be encouraged. Just talking to myself here. (laughs) Be encouraged. (laughs) This will end. Okay. Um, Interestingly, this was one of the songs that you guys sang. I'm going to read Psalm 23 because I think it really speaks into this. And um, I'd encourage you to, particularly if you're going through a dark time, to just to listen to this and try to, try to listen to God speaking to you in this and, and take it home with you. Um, you know, meditate on it this week. Try to... If there's something that really captures your heart this week or, or today, something that strikes you about this, um, make some time during the week to go back to it and, and spend some time with it, going over it. Because you're not alone, no matter what you're in, God is always there. So, Psalm 23. The Lord is my shepherd, I lack nothing. He makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside quiet waters. He refreshes my soul. He guides me along the right paths for his name's sake. Even though I walk through the darkest valley, I will fear no evil, for you are with me. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. You prepare a table before me, in the presence of my enemies. 
You anoint my head with oil. My cup overflows. Surely your goodness and love will follow me all the days of my life, and I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. So he's always with us, always guiding us, always close by, even when we're not. So I'd encourage you to um, to ask, to seek, to knock, to spend time. I think one of the hardest things in our world is just creating space to pray. Um, taking a moment, trying to create that, that space where we're not too hurried to actually hear God, to actually be with God. So that that would be a good discipline for each of us, just to even five minutes a day, just make us, if you're a scheduling person, schedule that, put that in your daytime or phone or whatever, time with God. I think that'd be good for all of us. And I'm going to end with a prayer that I found online that I thought was really good. So let's pray. Lord, free us from the dark night of death. Yeah, so, um, did you want to say something? Yeah, I'm done. Doesn't, doesn't God have a good sense of humor? We're married. <laughs> um, I really felt that some of you need to know that mourning is right there. And some of you, mourning has arrived, but you don't know. Because you've put yourself in a dark room, and you have the drapes pulled. You've blacked out your windows. And you don't know mourning is there. And you've chose it because you think it's safer. It's become habit. And God is calling you to go. And just carefully start to peel away that which you've put in the window so that you can't see it's morning. He's calling you outside. He's calling you into the morning. He's calling you into the light. And in that time, he, he has something for you. And I'm a prayer warrior, but like him, the last few years, I have gone so far the other way. So far. And the main time I pray is those SOS prayers. God, help me. God, help me. And I pray in my car. I'm just this babbling idiot to God whenever I'm in my car alone. Because that's just wasted time. And I use that time.
to pray, 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 pray. And I just pray as God shows me to pray. So just really encourage you to find your space. Right now, mine is my car. I have a long commute every day to work, to and from. And I pray in the car. So I think um, if you if if something's come up, if this has brought something up, and you definitely stay and and pray with each other, or um, pray with some of the leadership of the church, whoever's around. And um, other than that, I pray you have a good week. Go pick up your kids.